Welcome, everyone, to Mind Matters News. Uh, this is Mike Egner. I have the uh, great privilege today to interview uh, Dr. Angus uh, Manoj, who uh, has edited a wonderful new book called Minding the Brain, Models of the Mind, Information, and Empirical Science. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thank you, Angus. I I uh, I contributed a chapter to your book, but when I contributed the chapter, I I didn't have a chance to read all of the chapters. So when I got the book in the mail, uh, I've been reading all the chapters, and I I, I can't put the book down. Uh, it, it's really an incredible book. I, I it's one of the best books. In fact, it's the best book I've ever read on the mind brain interaction. So congratulations on an incredible job with this book. Oh, thank you. It was certainly uh, several years of. Uh hard work, but um, we were just so pleased with the uh, the range and depth of all of the, uh, the the contributors and to bring together people from so many different academic disciplines so that we can start to break out of these silos and that philosophers can listen to neuroscientists and computer scientists and psychologists and vice versa, I think was uh, quite a coup. I think that's one of the great strengths of it is that each each chapter is frankly brilliant in its own way, and they come at the question of the mind versus the, uh, the the mind brain relationship from all different directions, and there seem to be themes that consistently arise. Um, why did you want to put the book together? Does uh, what 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 really was new about this book? You had mentioned that it brings people from different from, di- from different disciplines together. Really, what we thought was that there is a danger within every area of of contemporary science of people feeling like they're locked into one implicit paradigm. And that implicit paradigm is some version of materialism. And so we thought, well, but actually, there are lots of criticisms of materialism, and they come from philosophy. They even come from neuroscientists uh, such as yourself. They come from all over the place. And wouldn't it be nice if there were a fair airing, first of all, of these criticisms of the materialist view, but then also an exposition of all the alternatives, because it seems as if many people aren't aware that there's not one, there are many alternatives out there to materialism, and that perhaps some of these would actually be a lot more fruitful for scientific work than the implicit materialism that they may have uh, unconsciously picked up. Yes, yes. Um, to, To help our listeners kind of wrap their minds around this. What is materialism or what is physicalism, which is another word for it? Basic idea of physicalism, which was the dominant position in uh, philosophy of mind and certainly in uh, psychology throughout the uh, early and mid 20th century, was that we could understand everything about the, the human being in just the same way that we could understand physical processes going on in nature. So when we're looking at the world around us, it seems there's all kinds of things that we can explain just using physics and chemistry. Well, why not apply that same kind of understanding to us? And and really the key thought is this. In natural science, we make this assumption that we can understand things in purely impersonal terms. In other words, we don't need to bring in subjectivity or goals or purposes or anything like that. We can simply say that, well, given this particular uh, undirected cause, you will have this particular undirected 
uh, effect. That's the kind of thinking that we would use if we wish to explain a, a chemical reaction uh, or a glacier going down a valley. Maybe we can apply that same kind of thinking to uh, human persons and reduce us to really nothing very special, just another part uh, of the physical world. It seems like a, a, a kind of a bizarre way to to look at a, a theory of the mind to remove from from it everything that's mental. That is that 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 if if you try to understand the mind as a series of physical interactions, you can only do that if you strip everything mental from what the mind is, because there's nothing about the mind itself that would lead you to think it's a physical interaction. The mind involves thoughts and concepts and propositions uh, and um, intentionality, a, a sense of aboutness. And physical things don't share any, any of those properties. So it's kind of a bizarre idea that you would try to explain the mind in purely in physical terms. Yeah, it really is. There's a, there's a great essay by C.S. Lewis called uh, Meditation in a Tool Shed where he makes a distinction between two ways you can try to understand something. Uh, one is from the outside. So it's like the scientist who is uh, looking at what's going on in the brain of someone when they're in love. The other is from the inside. What is it like to be in love? And of course, when we're investigating the mind, we have a vast amount of information about what's going on in the mind, which is directly available to our own consciousness. And it does seem to be almost a kind of insanity to discount that enormous amount of evidence that we have, that every ordinary human being has when we're trying to investigate the mind and saying that, well, in the end, none of that really matters. We ought to be able to understand ourselves in just a way that we understand a rock slide or something else where sure. there's uh, nothing uh, distinctively mental going on. The the other kind of bizarre thing is that we have direct access to our own minds. We experience it first first person. It's not perceptual. It's not you know you can turn the lights out in your room and and you still have your own mind there with you. Whereas material objects, we only know secondhand. We only know through uh, through our senses. So why we would deny the reality of the things that we experience directly and attempt to ascribe that reality to things that we can only experience indirectly and experience through the thing we're denying, which is our mind, is, is a bizarre way to look at the world. It, it really is. Uh, it seems to uh, go back to a, a point that C.S. Lewis made uh, when we're looking out of the window, we focus on what we're seeing out of the window, but we don't think about the fact that we're looking out of uh, the window. And so to some degree, this, this kind of thinking about natural science is so focused on the object that we're investigating, it forgets about uh, the, the subject. And as you say, we have immediate access to all kinds of things in our consciousness, and science itself, in fact, relies on them, as uh, you're also pointing out, because every scientific experiment in the end is experienced by a human being, and they convey a report to somebody else who has an experience of understanding what that data uh, may show. And so without conscious experience, you really wouldn't have any 
uh, activity of science going on. And the same, of course, for reasoning, the same for intentionality, that is thinking about things. All of these things are actually presupposed by the activity of science, even though they may not be the objects that most scientists are, are studying. Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite um, insights in philosophy of science was, was made by Werner Heisenberg, uh, one of the pioneers in quantum mechanics. And he, he said that we have to be careful that nature reveals herself to us according to our method of investigation. Mm. Uh, so that if we approach a particular problem in science uh, as if it were just a material question, of how does a brain work and, and the mind must be a part of the brain, well, then you, a scientist may come to the conclusion at the end of his research that that is the case, that the mind is purely a material product of the brain. But, but nature, in that case, is simply revealing herself according to our materialistic methods. It doesn't mean that's what she really is. It doesn't mean that's what the mind really is. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, it, we can sometimes artificially set ourselves a limit like methodological materialism, which basically says we'll only allow physical causes for any phenomenon, and then conclude, well, that there must only be such causes. And uh, the analogy I give my students is that this is a bit like saying there aren't any small fish because you never catch them in nets with big holes. Right, right, yeah. right. That's very true. Um, on the question of, of, of materialism or physicalism, uh, what, what have been the dominant theories? It's a, this is such a bizarre way to look at the mind. Um, how have people tried to make this work materialistically? All right. So in the beginning, the earliest uh, materialist theories were behaviorists, and there were different versions of behaviorism. But what they thought was we could try to understand our attribution of mental states to other people, like so-and-so is in pain, on the basis of their behavior. So perhaps what we mean by the word pain or what pain signifies is simply an aptness to, uh, for example, withdraw one's limbs or wince or cry out and so forth, and that really pain can be understood as a behavioral uh, response to some kind of uh, physical stimulus. And if you do that, you don't need to have anything distinctively uh, subjective in, in the middle. You can just rely on behavior. Uh, that view, of course, did not last for uh, very long because there are just so many counterexamples. Uh, you can have uh, method actors uh, or uh, uh, football players uh, who will create um, enormously convincing uh uh, behaviors to indicate they're in pain when they're not, right? Maybe they want a penalty or something like this. Um, and on the other hand, you can have very uh, stoical people who actually are in incredible pain but don't produce any pain behavior. So it became obvious that no pain is, whatever it is, it's an internal state of some kind. You can't really define what something is in itself just by its causes and effects. So, well, it, it would it would also seem. I mean, it, it's kind of self-refuting. You would imagine if a behaviorist wanted to understand the processes in his own mind when he's thinking about behaviorism, would he then simply videotape himself sitting at his desk thinking, and <laughs> thereby <Yeah. laughs> understand what he th what he's thinking? I mean. Yeah, behaviorism well, itself is a is a mental process 
that often involves no behavior whatsoever. You're just contemplating it. So right, exactly. Uh, that, so there's a, there's a, a number of these positions involve this same kind of problem that you you have to make an exception of yourself from what you believe is uh, is going on in general. So yeah, that theory uh, fell to the ground quite quickly, and then. The, the next wave of theories were various forms of the identity theory that said, well, um, if pain or other uh, states are really have to be understood as internal to the organism in some way, maybe what it means to be in pain is to be in a particular kind of uh, brain state. And there were different kinds, type identity, token identity. But of course, then the basic problem is that as we study the, the, the brain from a variety of physical approaches, whether from physics or chemistry or biology, we don't discern that it has any of these distinctive uh, mental properties. And then Leibniz's law applies that two things cannot be identical if they have different properties. And no state of the, the brain in and of itself seems to have subjectivity or intentionality or rationality, but our thoughts and experiences do have all of those uh, properties. So that didn't seem to work either. And then uh, the more recent approaches have been functionalist uh, approaches. They were really inspired by developments in uh, the new field of artificial intelligence as uh, computers became more available. And they, and they noticed, wow, you know, in a computer, what the computer does um, is based on many factors, including the input, also the interaction between internal states of the computer, uh, and then the output. And... Um, it seems as if these functional states are very um, abstract in the sense that they could be realized very differently in different organisms. So one problem for the type identity theory is just that different organisms that feel pain turn out to have incredibly different um, neurophysiological setups. So it seemed quite implausible that you could say that pain was the same type of state in every organism that feels pain. But if you have an abstract view of it, a functional role, then maybe that functional role can be realized very, very differently uh, in different um, organisms. And that, that approach is still probably the dominant physicalist approach. But again, it has the same underlying set of problems that we can very easily develop a computer or a robot which will realize the functional role of pain, but without experiencing pain. Right. All we have to do is give it sensors, for example, for uh, heat, and then program it so that when it detects a certain level of heat, it will withdraw its uh, robot limb, or it will say, ow, or whatever we program it to do, and it will produce all the clusters of, um, of, of behavior that will define that functional role. But the problem is it isn't really in pain, and it, this, its states are not really about uh, anything. We don't think that it actually has an experience uh, of pain or that there's something it's like to be the robot. And it, it would also seem to me that, uh, and, and Bob, Bob Marks has a wonderful book, uh, Non-Computable You, out now that uh, on this topic, that, that 
the mind is not any kind of computation that you really can't explain mental processes at all by computation. And it, it seems to me that the hallmark of a mental process is intentionality, is the aboutness of a thought. And the hallmark of computation is that it lacks aboutness. That is that, um, for example, a word processing program um, simply processes the keystroke and makes it into a letter on your computer screen. But the word processing program doesn't know or care about the opinion that you're expressing if you're typing an essay. You can type an essay expressing one opinion and then the opposite opinion and the word processing program doesn't know anything about it at all. In fact, if the word processing program did have intentionality, if it did contain a meaning that would only allow certain opinions to be expressed but not others, it'd be much less valuable as a program because then not everybody could use it. So computation hmm. is the opposite of what the mind is. So I, I think it's a bizarre theory. Yeah, and because anything that's computational can be reduced to some set of rules, uh, an algorithm or a recursive uh, procedure. But it seems as if we actually have uh, insight. And uh, right now I'm teaching a class in advanced logic and we're going through um, Gödel's uh, theorems. And uh, what's so interesting about those is that at the end of the day, you can see that for any particular sentence, uh, sorry, for any particular theory, there's going to be a sentence which you can see is true, but that the theory uh, cannot prove. And so right. there's a interesting argument philosophically, well, if we were machines, then the theorem would apply to us, and they would have to be a girdle sentence for, for um, us. Um, well, would we be able to see that it's, it's true, even though we couldn't compute it? And um, Right. Right. It's, it, it seems that we would be able to see that, it, that, it's, that it's true. Right. And if we couldn't compute it, then our mind couldn't be a computation. <laughs> right. 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 That's uh, fascinating. The, um, how about uh, eliminative materialism? I know that that's, uh, that grow, that's growing in popularity. Yeah, that's uh, one of the two uh, extreme options. I say the extreme options in philosophy of mind are either eliminative materialism or panpsychism. So the first one, eliminative materialism, says that, well, our, our common sense views of the mind, that we have beliefs and desires and that these are the reasons for our action, are all of them simply false, like the belief in uh, phlogiston or the humors. It's just an old, uh, uh, you know, pre-scientific theory that we have to get uh, rid of. And so then, People like Paul and Patricia Churchland will claim that you can explain everything about what a human being does in terms of the transitions between neural uh, activation patterns. And at no point do you actually need to appeal to uh, what an individual believes uh, or wants or their goals or, or, or anything like that. And um, the position is, I suppose, in a way... Um, consistent because if the mind presents a problem to uh, physicalism, well, then you can get rid of the problem. But the difficulty is, can anybody make any coherent sense of the theory? Because if we try to understand it, for example, then it seems that understanding is an intentional state. Or if right. they give an argument for it, 
how exactly are we supposed to accept the conclusion if we're not capable of accepting things? Because again, accepting something is an intentional state. Right. I, I, I kind of think of eliminated materialism as kind of an implicit confession. Um, and I actually have some respect for eliminated materialists like Paul and Patricia Churchill and in the sense that they're admitting that um, the mind can't be explained materialistically. Unfortunately, they've, they've, they've jettisoned the mind instead of jettisoning materialism, uh, which would seem to be the more reasonable approach. Yeah, I, I agree. It, in a way, it is an internally consistent uh, position, but this right. seems to be too small. There's a great quote from G.K. Chesterton where he said that um, you know the, the, the materialist's uh, world seems to uh, essentially exclude uh, everything that is really in it. When, when you understand clearly what they are saying, that none of the ordinary things that people believe uh, exist actually fit within that within that picture. And right. so to, to achieve consistency by throwing out the data doesn't seem to be a good approach. We we kind of prize theories that can account for as much data as as possible. Yeah, John, John, John Cyril, who's a, as you know, as a philosopher at Berkeley, who's who's not a dualist at all, but Cyril has commented that it almost seems like the materialists will just say anything uh, to justify a, a purely materialist perspective, uh, irrespective of the evidence. <laughs> They'll just say anything. Yeah, Cyril is interesting in that way because he's recognized, for example, that if you think through what we mean by acts of reasoning, they presuppose free will. And of course, free will is a real problem for any version uh, of physicalism because it requires the mind to have some kind of independence from the right. processes that are going on in the brain. But if we don't draw a conclusion because we see that it is a right answer, if somehow we're only impelled to draw a, uh, a conclusion, then it seems that we're no different from our computers and calculators. And although they've been engineered so that they follow logic and arithmetic, we don't think that they are actually reasoning. They're just designed in such a way that they follow um, the dictates of arithmetic and, and logic. And that isn't the same as uh, endorsing a conclusion because you want to find the, the truth, for example. Precisely, precisely. Well, Angus, it's been absolutely wonderful to speak with you. We, we, we will be doing uh, more sessions uh, very shortly. Uh, so thank you so much. And thanks to our listeners. Uh, I've been speaking with Dr. Angus Manoj uh, regarding um, uh, his wonderful new book, uh, Minding the Brain, uh, which I highly recommend. Uh, and please uh, stay tuned for more discussions. Thank you. This has been Mind Matters News. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.